unity is a requirement for the church to be the church for people who are lost. If they live in unity, then people get to see Jesus demonstrated. If they don't live in unity, people get to see that what we're talking about doesn't mean anything. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Don't forget to follow us along on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. And if you're curious on learning how to share the gospel, check out Disciple of City on Facebook, discipleofcity.ca, Facebook, and Instagram. Hear exciting stories and testimonies, and you too can learn how to share the gospel. My guest today was a pastor for over 12 years. He had a heart and left that ministry as he had a heart to see the denominations of the church united and was very instrumental in forming Kawartha House of Prayer. And he did that under Youth for Christ, and we're going to hear all about that story today. Please welcome Glenn Duncan. (laughs) Hey, Glenn. Todd, well, thank you. It's good, good to be here with you. I'm glad you could come. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, did you have any problem finding our secret hidden studios here? Was all right? No, I I, I knew pretty well where I was going. Oh, uh, good stuff. I good like, stuff. I like to fish for speckled trout, and there's a creek not far from here that I drive right by here. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I know some people that, I, you know what, I've never fished it, but I know a lot of people that do hit that up in the spring. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Lots of bounty in there. It's it's beautiful. It's uh, refreshing. Even if you don't catch anything, it's still just a great day. Yeah. A few black flies, though. A little bit of bugs, eh? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> How's your summer going? Oh, it's good. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. Like, it's just uh, been a good, relaxing summer. It's so nice with most of the pandemic stuff being passed. So, like, having lots of people over to our place and good visits. Just really nice time of year i love it yeah we've been blessed too the weather's been fantastic yeah yeah so glenn um can you tell us where where did you grow up glenn and and what was uh as far as faith goes what was that like for you as a young as a young kid so i I grew up uh about 10 miles north of hamilton a little farming community called millgrove uh, I always sort of test the the value of maps based on whether or not they put Millgrove on it. Um, <laughs> population maybe growing up maximum 500. And uh, it was one of those places where uh, on my mom's side of the family, they were sort of the first settlers that were there. And so I was probably a cousin to half the people that were in the community. You couldn't get away with anything because everybody knew who you were and uh but it was just a, a safe, really good place to grow up. Um, really good friends, good neighbors. So my dad was a, a farmer, a market gardener. And uh, my parents were just really down-to-earth, good people. Um, they were both people who loved Jesus uh, before I ever was born, came onto the scene. One small family. We only, I have a, a, one sister. And uh, so we were a small, immediate family, but big, extended family because of our connections and relationships with everybody else around. Uh, my parents were people who really, um, really walked with God. Um, so I can't remember a, a time in my life when I didn't believe in God. Uh, and growing up in the country, uh, lots just lots of times outdoors and going back uh, through the fields and into the woods. And, and uh, I was used to uh, kind of listening to the prompting of God, even as a little child. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just always been part of my life. Um, and because I grew up in the country, I like, I like the quiet, like nature a lot. Um, I pay attention to what's going on and with birds and animals. And um, that's just part of what's in my DNA and in my soul. Uh, as I was growing up, um, my parents were people who who really understood what it meant to walk with God. Um, they were fun-loving, but in, in my mind, too, they were 
gentle and gracious. And uh, there was kind of a defining moment um, when I was about maybe 10 years old or so, where my parents, there was a an incident that took place in the community. And my parents uh, really wrestled with how they should respond, what it meant to, to walk with God through that. And it cost them something um, because of the choices they made to, to walk with God rather than follow what was going on in the community. Uh, they were kind of ostracized. Um, everybody, as I said, everybody knew them, but they were starting to say, so what's, what's wrong with Eric and Norma Duncan that, that they're not doing this? And I watched them as they wrestled with what it meant to follow Jesus instead of doing what everybody else was doing. And that spoke a lot to me about what it meant to walk with God as well. Uh, I formally became a follower of Jesus, when again, when I was 10 years old. Um, Billy Graham Association used to have a Canadian branch to it, and there was a uh, an evangelist named Leighton Ford. He came to Guelph, and they had a uh, an evangelistic week in Guelph. And uh, I'd heard the gospel. I knew Bible stories pretty well inside out. But in terms of hearing the gospel, of wanting to have Jesus live within your heart and give him your life and him give you a new heart in turn, when we went off to uh, this week of sharing faith and listening to this evangelist speak um i didn't want to go because i kind of knew what was coming and there was something in me that was kind of fighting it um that's interesting yeah it it shouldn't have been there but it was yeah and uh they were they were holding the evenings in the arena where the uh, ohl team from guelph played back then they were they were the the rangers and they were like a a feeder team for the New York Rangers a uh, long time ago, obviously. Um, but I went cause I kind of wanted to see the arena. <laughs> I wanted to see wh- where they played and uh, went through the whole evening and um, Leighton Ford gave the invitation at the end. And I just felt God telling me, Glenn, you need to, to do this. You need to invite Jesus into your heart to be your Lord. Uh, so 10 year old, I went up to the front and, uh, asked Jesus to come into my heart and he changed me. Uh, I just, just knew right on the spot. Some interesting things happened with that. If I could tell you about it. Yeah. Well, can, can I ask you while you were, if you recall, while you were there before that point, did you, did you feel anything weird inside? Did you feel anything like, well, I shouldn't be here or anything like that? Or no, it was just, it wasn't that. Yeah. I knew at, at the ripe old age of 10 that I was, uh, self-centered sinful person i just knew it and and uh i knew i needed to have a heart that was new so yeah okay well yeah so tell us what what happened after that well the way they the way they worked it was they went up to ask jesus to come into your heart they had somebody that would meet with you and talk with you and Turned out I, I met with this man who was a, a missionary from Nigeria who was home on furlough. He'd been in Nigeria for four years and now was taking a year back in Canada. And uh, he's the one that just helped me to invite Jesus to come into my heart. And when I prayed, uh, I, I felt like God come in. Um, and I just kind of was a puddle. I started crying and, and just felt God's care for me. So after I prayed and he walked, he kind of walked me through some things in scripture. He said, so Glenn, he said, no, he said, now that you've asked Jesus into your heart, he said, are, are you now a Christian? Are you now a follower of Jesus? I said, yes. He said, how do you know? I said, well, I feel different. He says, yeah, that's great that you feel different because you are. He said, but what happens if, if you don't feel different someday? Does that mean you're not a Christian? And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So he said, you need to know that when you invite Jesus to come into your heart, he makes you new from the inside out. And he said, there will be most times when you do feel different because you're walking with God in person now. But there'll be some days when you don't feel like that at all. And he said, how you feel 
isn't the de- determination of whether or not you're a new person. Um, there will be some times when it's hard. Some people won't like what you did. And he said, you need to know that. So he showed me scriptures. We, we uh, just went through a number of passages of scripture just to show what God says takes place in a person's heart. I can remember that was on a Sunday. The next day I went back to school. I told my friends I'd become a Christian and I was really excited and they really weren't. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Uh, I can relate to that. Yep. And after a few days of them not being really excited, um, there was a morning I woke up and I thought, I don't feel that difference anymore. And immediately those words came back to mind about, about what it means to be from the inside out a new person and how feelings can help you out with it but they can also trick you sometimes yeah yeah it was funny uh years and years after that uh i bumped into a guy in calgary where i was working at the time and uh he had the same last name as this missionary so i got talking to him he was a salesman at the company where where i worked and he was trying to sell us some stuff and um I got talking with him and I said, that's an interesting name. I said, tell me about some of your background. So he told me how he was raised as a kid in Nigeria and, uh, and turned out that was this guy's dad. And uh, he actually was in Calgary at that time where I lived. And so we got together one night. This would be like 30 years later um, after he led me to the Lord. And 30 years later, he had him over for dinner and sat down and visited with him and talked with him and it was just a really neat reconnection. Yeah, yeah. that's such a profound, powerful statement, yeah. and so and so really, really important for somebody new to faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also really interesting to me that you that growing up having and this is really the difference, right? And this is what you know our hearts desire for all the listeners is the, the understanding that you you grew up having a belief. And your parents were living it. Yeah. But at some point it has to become your own. And it's that decision. And it's interesting how you said that there was something in you that didn't want you to go. Which is, which is, which, you know, we know what that is. <laughs> yes, and we do. Not wanting you. Uh, yeah. But that decision of, of wanting as a, a personal decision to invite him into your heart. That's really, that's awesome. Yeah. So. So you obviously worked uh, in Calgary then for a bit. And then what what um, what made you decide to be a pastor and, and how did that look like and where did you start all that? Uh, that was pretty early on too. Um, my family background was the United Church of Canada. And in this little community of Millgrove, that was the only church that was there. In one of the neighboring communities, there was a, a minister and his wife who uh, were just just on fire for God. They were they were older people, and uh, somehow my parents got connected with them, and and they kind of helped to uh, mentor them. And they used to have a, a once a month uh, missionary night at their church in the neighboring community, and they had. Uh, they had a, a thing especially for kids to come to. And so my parents started to, to take me to that. And I can remember this one night, there was a, a this little woman. She had to be just a little over four feet tall. Um, she was a, a single older woman and she felt God had called her into missions. And she'd gone and worked in this really... Um, distant South American jungle where she'd gone to work with, with people. And, uh, and she was home just telling about the experience and, and, uh, she brought back with her just, just stories of meeting with people and living in isolation and, uh, how God showed up to bring new life to the people she was working with. And this, there was just this feeling that rose in me. Like I, I thought, I can do anything with with my life, but but I want more than anything to live my life just to be part of what God's doing, to be part of his kingdom. And I just felt that God was telling me I was to live my life uh, for his glory. And, and in my mind, uh, that meant doing that vocationally, uh, to not just live walking with God, 
but to figure out how to have my my training and my official work as being that too. So I didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, I've always had a love for the outdoors, and I th- was thinking maybe he was calling me to northern Canada or something like that. Um, but that was sort of what got me on that track. I went through the rest of elementary school and high school with the, the plan that I was going to go into ministry of some kind. And uh, that just never left. So after high school, I went to Bible college and then I've, uh, I worked in three different churches as a youth pastor, um, total of about 12 years for all three of those churches. Um, went back after Bible college, went, eventually went back to school in the West. I went to Regent College in Vancouver and, and uh, got my Master of Divinity from there. And that's where I got uh, more involved as uh, a pastor eventually. I was a youth pastor uh, in Kingston, in Vancouver, and in Toronto. And Toronto was the sort of the last stop before coming to Peterborough. And so when you were working in Calgary, were you pastoring out there as well? Or how did that, how did that tie in? No. Um, first of all, there, there was a... A major train wreck, I guess, in in my life. Um, that train wreck was one of... So, during high school, last year of high school, I started to date a girl that was in our youth group and uh, went through the four years of Bible college. And after that, we got married and went to the first church that I worked in as a youth pastor stayed for close to five years in that but while I was there then she left and uh, and I just felt like my my life had been ripped into <laughs> um, had to grapple with what it meant to to be with God uh, to walk with him and to have him as the one who carries me through all things Um in John chapter 4, there's the story of the woman at the well. Jesus tells the woman that he can give her a, a stream of living water that would come from inside that would satisfy her thirsts. And and uh, after my wife left, that was really a, a significant passage for me in terms of thinking through um, what it means to have that well of water satisfy everything. And so I would... I'm just cry out to God every day, hold on to me. Um, if you don't hold on to me, I'm not going to be able to hold on to you. I'm just not strong enough to do it. Uh, I need you with your work to rise in me and to satisfy my deepest longings. And so it was a, a journey of a few years of uh, working through that. Um, that was probably the, the hardest time of my life, but like anything God does, it became the richest time of my life too, because I started to find out how God can meet needs when circumstances don't don't seem to allow for it. Mm. Um, so that that was the probably the most profound thing. But it, it then started me into a kind of a, a series of things where I discovered more and more of the care of God. Um, so I moved to Calgary. Um, we had some friends that I'd known in Kingston who were going church planting there. And after my marriage breakup, um, they invited me to come to Calgary and just uh, check things out there, see if I could find a job or whatever. And uh, so I went to Calgary. Things were pretty unusual then in terms of the work situation. There were there were jobs everywhere in Calgary. Uh, not much in Kingston in those days. Yeah. And uh, it's the ebb and flow of the economy. So I was out there visiting for for two weeks, and I went around to different places and applied for, for jobs, just simple entry things. But I, I applied, I can remember, I applied for six jobs, and I was offered five. Wow. <laughs> and uh, the one they they told me that I said I couldn't be there till a couple of months later. They said they'd hold it open. and. So I went to work uh, for a chartered accountant's firm doing admin stuff within the chartered accountant's company and uh, moved back there. I lived in Calgary for two and a half years and then uh, decided it was time to go back to school and see what kinds of things God would open for me. So then I moved to Vancouver. Um, 
and then did that and then that brought you back to toronto yeah there were a few things in between but a couple couple of highlights in in that time um while i was in vancouver um i was there for a three-year course which i managed to squeeze into six but um (laughs) funny what we'll do when we're amongst the mountains eh (laughs) that's right (laughs) that's right um this is I'd already been like two and a half, three years into this search for the that stream of living water to come from the inside. And uh, I have a, a friend who's uh, a geologist that lives in Whitehorse and uh, stayed in contact with him. I knew I'd be studying for the whole school year and then looking for summer work to, to help pay for things that I was doing. And uh, asked him, is there any, any way I can get a job working for you in, in Whitehorse in the summer? He said, yeah, he said, I have a, a group of guys that do uh, do exploration. Um, they're out looking for mineral deposits and stuff. And he said, he said, write me a letter in January. He said, I can get a job for you. So I, I wrote him the, the letter and got accepted. And uh, this theology student went up to Whitehorse to do prospecting for three months. And I got uh, placed with three geologists, two guys who were full-time geologists and a geology student. And the four of us just spent the whole summer just, we were in helicopter fly camps. They'd take us by helicopter to some place and drop us off. We had tents and food, and uh, they'd leave us there, check in on us on shortwave radio. It didn't work most of the time. And uh, we'd place grocery orders over the radio, and helicopter would come in and fly the food to us. And Wow, that must have been fun. Spent the whole summer uh, hiking through the mountains and taking samples off creeks. And uh, it was just uh, just a gift from God. Wow. Uh, thoroughly loved it. Uh, there was a, this one day, partway through the summer, where uh, I was, uh, we were in this one valley. And my assignment for the day, you have topographical maps, because it's before GPS and all that. Um, they'd give me a map, and they'd put a little mark on it. they say, we want you to hike over into this next valley and then take silt samples along the creek that runs through the valley. So I climbed up this mountainside slope. It'd be 1,000, 1,200 feet of, from where we were up to the, up to the crest of the, the ridge and was walking along the top of the ridge and looking for a spot then to climb, walk down into the, into the next valley. And it was one of those days uh, where it was just bright, sunny day, but fluffy clouds, you know, sort of like the Simpson clouds, you know, floating around through the air. Yeah. And just wildflowers everywhere, and I'm just walking along in this beautiful, pure environment. And uh, by myself, nobody there to listen to me, so I started singing worship songs to God as I'm walking along. And and while I was walking, this this thought just came with just such power. I thought to myself, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. And then I just felt God saying in my heart, I answered your prayer. And I, I just, like... Right there on the ridge, I just stopped walking. I just stopped dead, and and I realized, wow, nothing has changed. I'm, I'm still in limbo. It feels like in my life, and yet, well, nothing has changed outwardly. Everything has changed. Uh, I, I just was just overwhelmed. I was filled with joy and wonder as I did that, and uh, that genuinely has continued uh, to this day. Um, that was just a, a real breakthrough from God. Mm. Yeah. In such a beautiful place, like I've not been, but just the pictures and yeah, wow, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, so in my time in Vancouver, um, I uh, had a, a close friend. Her name is Sheila. Um, we'd known each other for quite a few years. But in, in that time in Vancouver, um, I felt God giving me the, the freedom to go ahead with life. And uh, that started to develop into a, a much deeper friendship and love relationship with Sheila. And we were engaged and got married. Um, in that time still in Vancouver, um, while I was at Regent College, there was a thing going on in the States Um Fuller Seminary offered this course. Uh, Peter Wagner was one of the the teachers at it, and Peter Wagner, he's sort of the 
the father of the church growth movement. But Peter Wagner recognized the church growth movement while it was in some ways early mechanical. The idea of it was churches would look at other churches who were being, quote unquote, successful, and they would try to reproduce the things that they were doing so that they could become successful. And Peter Wagner thought there's value in that. But what we're missing is the whole issue of walking with God, relying on prayer, uh, living in the power of the spirit. So there was this fellow named uh, John Wimber, and John Wimber uh, started the vineyard movement in the States. Uh, he'd, been, uh, he'd been in rock music before he became a believer, and uh, he started to experience what it meant to have God's Spirit work through you to do demonstrative things so that people get to see who Jesus is rather than listening to simple logic from people as they explain why you should accept the gospel. And Wagner had him come uh, to Fuller, and he actually started to teach an accredited course out of Fuller that they had for a time. It was called Signs and Wonders and Church Growth. <laughs> they put, put them all together. So while I was at Regent, uh, Fuller sponsored um, having a, a week of seminar in, in Vancouver area, and... Well, Regent didn't have the, the course, um, there was always within us our, our syllabus to have uh, some guided studies when you've completed the core courses. And uh, so some of us went and took the signs and wonders in church growth as, as a guided study. And we were there to, to take the course itself, but then also to sit through and think, evaluate it, write a paper on it, discuss it, and, and just see the strengths and weaknesses that were in it. So I went to the Signs and Wonders and Church Growth seminar that was on, and uh, Wimber's uh, approach to ministry is that if you look through the book of Acts, every time the gospel's shared in the book of Acts, it's shared uh, with there being some demonstration of God's presence and power. And there's a miracle that takes place, or with Paul trying to decide, should he go into Macedonia or should he go into Asia Minor? Uh, the Holy Spirit directed him. He said, I want you to go into Macedonia. There was a call from a man, come over here, he saw in a vision. Um, every single instance of the gospel being shared with the exception of the discussion in Athens in Acts 17, every one of those, there is a demonstration of the power of God in some way, a miracle and then the repercussions from it or direction from God or a word that God's given and and it opens the doors to the gospel being shared. Yeah. And I'd already had studied that, so I was thinking that through. How does that work when we share our faith with people? Um, there has to be some way a demonstration of God's presence. So I went to the conference, and Wimber's whole approach is every believer has uh, the Holy Spirit in them. Every believer has gifts that they are specifically given by God so that people get to see God as they use them. And whether you have specific gifts in an area or not, every believer is called to share their faith. Yes. Every believer is called to pray for those in need, uh, to pray for healing or whatever else God calls you to do. So Wimber's approach to healing was uh, every time you have an opportunity to pray for someone who's sick, pray for them. And he said, do it 200 times. And he said, if you never see someone be healed during, during those 200 times, then maybe you don't have a gift of healing, <laughs> but you are doing what God's told you to do. And uh, he said, so who wants, who wants to invite the Holy Spirit to, to have God's power uh, released in them so that they can join Jesus in what he's doing? Well, that was why I was there, right? There were about a thousand people at this conference and uh, they had a platform at the front and they said, if you want to have someone pray for you, come up and, and we'll pray for you. So I went up to the front along with a couple of hundred other people, and uh, there was a couple who were there, part of John Wimber's ministry team, a man and a woman, who uh, came over and prayed with me. And uh, it's just, they asked why I'd come up, which I thought was kind of weird, because I thought everybody came up because they were coming to ask the Spirit to come and fill them and set them free. And... Uh, I said, okay, well, we'll pray for you for that. And they prayed for a bit. And then the woman who was there, she said, Glenn, you don't think you're worthy to have the Holy Spirit in you, uh, do you? 
I said, no, <laughs> I don't think I am worthy. I was thinking about my marriage breakup and and just thinking about even after becoming a believer, still selfish things that I've done. And she said, well, should I want you to do something? Should I want you to close your eyes? And I want you to picture that you're in front of Jesus. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'll, I'll do that. She said, and she then I want you to picture Jesus saying, I love you, Glenn. So I'm going through my, my theological mindset, and I'm thinking, well, that's definitely scriptural. Jesus does love me, and it's right for me then to picture that. So, so I close my eyes, and uh, I picture Jesus was kind of on a throne, and me standing in front of him, but it's eye to eye. It wasn't like above me and we, me way down below. And, and I pictured it, and then I started to laugh. And she said, why are you laughing? I said, well, I did what you told me to. I said, I pictured Jesus on a throne. And he said, I love you, Glenn, you jerk. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the way my sense of humor works. And and so I was laughing. She says, no, 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 you did it all wrong. You can't do it like that. She said, I want you to do it again. So, okay. So I closed my eyes, pictured Jesus, same picture in front of him. She said, and don't say that last part when you do that. I said, okay. So I pictured Jesus, and Jesus says to me, I love you, Glenn. And I waited for a minute and opened my eyes, and she said, did you do it? I said, yep. She said, do it again. Okay. <laughs> so same thing, same picture, same thing, finished, opened my eyes. She said, do it again. Okay, same picture, same thing. But that that third time, when I did it again, suddenly he said it. It wasn't me imagining it. Mm. I heard him. Wow. Uh, in the depths of my being, I heard him. Mm. And it, it just melted me. Um, went from, from being someone who knew in my head the life-giving truth to now it being in my heart. Uh, it, it made the jump. Um, you just... <laughs> There's no words to describe the difference, but the difference is vital. Uh, I heard. So it wasn't unusual for me to hear God's voice. I've heard his voice a few times up to that point and lots of times since. But that one was just his gift to me. It was still part of that thing about the stream of living water coming from within. Um, It let me rest in his arms and know that it's his love for me that carries me, not not my determination to be his. Uh, I went right back to the prayer, carry me, because I'm not strong enough to hold on to you. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that took place a couple of months before Sheila and I got married and was just a very significant gift from God for me to, to walk with him. Um. Went back to Calgary after Jill and I got married and worked in chartered accountant firms for another couple of years and then uh, got uh, invited to come to Toronto to work as a youth pastor in a church in Toronto. And then four years after that to, to Peterborough to start with Gilmore Memorial Baptist and, and Rayboro Baptist. And where you were a lead pastor. Yeah. That's what I had in mind all along, but yeah, but God had little shortcuts for us here and there. So. Yeah, little shortcuts, little adventures in the Yukon and out in the mountains. That's a pretty good plan. Yep. He's a good God. He is. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Yep. So, Glenn, I know there's all kinds of stuff we could talk about, um, you know, as your experiences as a, a pastor for 12 years there in Peterborough. Um, but a, a couple of things I wanted to ask you was... Um, I know because I had Ian Kirkland has been on the show earlier and we talked about the Toronto airport church or also known as the Toronto blessing. Yep. So with your, can you talk about that a little bit, um, about your experiences going to check out that with what you had experienced already in your life? Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of a blending of things. Um, one of the things that, that has been fascinating to me, like 
God has always held on to me, whether I'm aware of it or not. And and I've watched going through life, um, people who I've been close friends with, people who are in the faith along with me. Um, I know that every single person goes through a, a time of spiritual desert within their lives. And the desert is a, a hard place to be, but a really important place to be. I've watched people who give their heart to Jesus and then just walk away from him when they experience the desert. Uh, and I've watched other people who come out the other side of the, the desert and they're, they're deeper. Uh, they know Jesus. They, they rest in him. They trust in him. They walk with him. And one of my, one of my quests in life has been to figure out, so what is it that makes a difference that people are held on to by God and cling to God and walk with God through anything and others who don't. I want to be able to, to help people to really know the treasure they have in Christ and to, to walk with him and to uh, know he's everything, that God is, is good, but knowing God is good is, is to be a, a daily experience that just gets deeper and richer and, and more fulfilling and it will be like that for all of eternity when we're in heaven too. I want people to to know him and so I always kind of look to see what are the things that help people stay connected with God. Um there are a whole lot of different elements to that. Uh, a primary one is Christian community. It is that they're you're walking alongside other people who love God uh and they help you in it. Um, discipleship comes out of relationship rather than a specific plan of how you're going to do it. And that's a vital part to it. There is also that part of, of going through hard things and recognizing hard things are what shape you and refine you. But there's also the element of uh, where God steps in and does things that only God can do. Um, there has to be those personal encounters. There has to be a continual filling of the Holy Spirit that is alive uh, and relational in nature, not just a not just a zapping of power, but a, a changing of heart of power that just leans into God and trusts Him and walks with Him. Uh, my background is is Baptist or Baptist like nature, and in my mind. Baptists have a pretty good handle on loving the Word of God and letting it live in them so it dwells in them richly. Um, they're, they're not so good on the experiencing the power of God side. Um, I like to have Bapticostals <laughs> where, where they're people who love God and His Word because it's alive. Yeah. And they meet with God and know Him. But also welcome the way that God would do his work because you can trust him. He'll take you places you won't ordinarily go. And some of them you'll want to, and other ones he'll, it's kind of almost with your fingernails growing through the, the ground as he pulls you along to where you need to be. Um, but when you get there, then you start to experience some of the things that God wants you to do. So Toronto airport, I was at Gilmore Memorial Baptist and preaching and teaching and working in the life of the congregation. Very good, friendly group of people, a welcoming congregation. But I know, too, that we need to have the power of God stirring in us. And anybody, no matter what tradition they come from, can get into a kind of a stale relationship. The Toronto uh, Airport, which started off as Toronto Vineyard, um, really was a fascinating thing because there was a clear move of God that was there. Uh, done a couple of mission trips to Scotland and worked with a Baptist church in Scotland. And so the Toronto airport thing's going on in Toronto, an hour and a half drive from where we live. But the pastor from the Scottish Baptist church that I worked with, they were having some... Uh, blessing starting to flow into some of their churches in Scotland because of what was going on in Toronto. So his church in Scotland sent him to Toronto to see 
firsthand what was going on at, at the Toronto airport. And uh, he actually came and stayed with us. And we kind of went back and forth. And I went along with him um, to some of those early early meetings that were going on while it was still not yet Toronto airport, but it was still Toronto vineyard. And then I invited some of the people in our congregation to uh, come down to some of the, the evening meetings that were going on as well. And it was, uh, it was fascinating, exciting to watch, um, to see young adults who were coming off the streets and coming to faith in Jesus uh, you'd go down to a meeting. They they had them every night, um, every night, every night for a few years. Wow! And uh, and later on, when they moved to their present location, you'd get a couple of thousand people that were that were in the now Toronto Airport Catch the Fire meeting place, and uh, you'd you'd go. There'd be a, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours of worship an hour of instruction, teaching from God's word, another hour, hour and a half of, of people being invited to receive the Holy Spirit and to give their lives to Christ. And I'm going, so I've got my filter in terms of, so is this something authentic? Is this, is this from God or is this just a, a cultural thing where people are getting really excited and worked up? What's right about this? Well, there are people coming to faith in Jesus. They are worshiping God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Jesus' name for a couple hours together at night. They are listening to instruction from God's Word. They are being invited to be participants in the body of Christ. That's a lot of good stuff that's going on. What's wrong with it? Well, it's it's emotional. <laughs> it's uh, something... People from traditional churches are kind of scared of because it's not something you can control. Uh. Um, the goods just totally outweigh anything that might have some risk to it. So I felt like we have to go for this. So I just invited anybody in our congregation to come join me. We only went a few times, but I wanted just them to to see what it looks like when God's moving in people's hearts. And when people are being responsive to him, uh, I want them to see what revival for Christians look like, as well as awakening for people who aren't Christians yet. So that was that was kind of the introduction to it. It's really an intriguing thing for me because I wasn't a Christian at the time, so I had no idea that it was going on. But since becoming a Christian, it's, as I'm sure you know, it's still talked about today yeah. all over the world, yeah. different evangelists and different people that i follow refer to it talk about it i we talked about that with ian too i started to have some close friendship with two other pastors in the city one was pentecostal and the other was christian reformed and uh, the christian reform pastor um he uh, just a, a really good thinker so was the pentecostal one sorry about that um but the christian reform pastor um uh, just has a, a really solid theological filter through which he looks at everything. And uh, we went to a, a conference, the, the CRC pastor and myself, we went for a week to one uh, that was putting being put on by Toronto Airport, and they had guest speakers at it. Um, Bill Johnson was there fr- from Redding, California, and R.T. Kendall was there. And R.T. Kendall is a Reformed theologian and... Uh, my friend from the CRC church was particularly interested because Kendall was one of the speakers. Uh, Kendall had uh, worked with uh, Westminster Chapel, I think it was, in London, England for quite a few years. And uh, so my friend from the CRC church was thinking, if Kendall is at this and is endorsing it, there's something we need to be part of at it. So we went to the conference. Bill Prankard was there as well. Uh, A number of guest people, but... Those three, Bill Prankard and Bill Johnson and R.T. Kendall, were the three main speakers uh, for the week that we were there. And uh, Kendall's approach to it was, he said, that there are things that God is obviously doing here. He said, when I see God at work and see people coming to faith in Christ, uh, he said, I have to pay attention to it. 
He said, I might not agree with, with everything that's going on here, but this is clearly a work of God. And so there he was. And so that was a, a helpful thing for me as well. Um, really, really good to be part of that. Yeah. So that, that actually leads me to the next question with the, these two pastors that you met, because then you had a heart and this is, uh, I wouldn't say personal to me, but when I came to faith, all the different denominations were foreign to me. Mm-hmm. And when I came to faith, cause for me it was the way it happened was so profound story for another day, but, uh, the dumb, the different denominations made no sense to me. So not that there's anything wrong with them individually, because ultimately the key points and the, the, the goal, you know, of knowing Jesus is the same. Yeah. But, you know, why? So the, the question being is, can you share with us how God changed your heart to wanting to see unity in denominations and how Kawartha House of Prayer and more importantly, Church in the City uh, was birthed? What, what, what did, how did God steer you into that and, and meld your heart into that? And just talk about that for a little bit about bringing unity to, uh, the denominations in Peterborough. Okay. Um, there, there's an awful lot to that one as well. Uh, first of all, denominations have never really made sense to me either. Um, I just, when people love Jesus, that's what we want. Yeah. And people who love Jesus are the body of Christ. We're family together, and, and we need to, to live as family together. I understand the historical difference between different denominations. Uh, there were, in, in history, good reasons for why most of those denominations developed. Uh, over time, uh, a lot of those distinctives uh, are forgotten. In most instances, it's because it was a fresh move of the Spirit in some way. And there were individuals who paid a price to walk with God, um, and the denominations kind of grew out of those traditions. Um, there are some denominations that, in in my mind, have a, a better handle on what Scripture is saying, how we're to walk with God, and some of them have a better experience of what it means to walk with God. But it's still... The Lord's the Lord, and how people uh, work with Him is is just almost infinitely variable, uh, because that's the way God does things. In my concern for help, helping people stay faithful in Christ, one of the things that I discovered very early on was that in every denomination that I've been part of, where they're supposed to be biblical, and I think they are, they have good denominational backgrounds, they have wonderful theological statements, they have wonderful mission statements. In every congregation there are there are people who have a living relationship with the living God and love him with all their hearts. And there are also people who uh, are good people, um, but somewhere it moves from relationship with God to being religious. Yeah. And I've been in different congregations and in different denominations where I just find that's a constant wherever I go. Um, at one point, as I was starting to think it through, I thought the church was fairly focused and, and narrow in some ways. Um, that whole thing that Jesus says about the road that leads to heaven is, is narrow and only a few get through. And the one that leads to destruction is wide, and, and a lot of people are on it. Um, what caught me off guard was that I, when I would start to find people who were God-lovers, deeply God-lovers in different traditions, where I thought that shouldn't be possible with the theology that they have. Um, I started to realize that the church is a is much broader than I ever thought it could be, but also the experience of the church is much more shallow than it ever should be. It should be both broad and deep, not broad and shallow. Um, So for me to work with other denominations has not been a difficult thing. I'm looking for God lovers uh, in them and certainly working, looking for people whose lives reflect the very character of Jesus. 
And when I find that in people, then I, then I can join with them joyfully and, and work with them. Uh, within Peterborough, um, because of the size of our community, so we're the smallest city in Canada, but we sort of have a, a big small town feel to it rather than a city feel to it. And we're far enough removed from greater Toronto area that, that we're a city unto itself for the most part. Um, when you're in big cities, it's hard to know sort of where your turf begins and ends. But in Peterborough, the whole city is, is our turf <laughs> and spreading out into the county as well. So all of the different churches that are in Peterborough, all of their different expressions, whether they're formal congregations or house churches, we're responsible for the city. We're responsible for being the body of Christ to this city. His hands and feet and voice were to be here to bring the presence of Jesus here. But like Jesus, when he was on earth, he brought blessing to people, whether they responded to him or not. And we're to be here to bless this city as a whole as well. So being here over a number of years, you get to know a number of pastors. And, and there were different things that, that happened. Uh, the pastor, Lloyd Eyre, from the Peterborough Free Methodist Church, um, beginning of uh, the millennium, 1999 into 2000, he felt directed by God to invite uh, churches to come together to have a worship time that would be to worship Jesus as we start into the new millennium. Uh, in previous years, Lloyd had organized, a, I used to have, we always had these uh, music nights in Peterborough, it used to be on Wednesdays and on Saturdays. Uh, Festival of Lights is what it was called back then. So we had Festival of Praise on Sunday nights at Del Curry Park and had several churches that went together and had outdoor worship every Sunday night for all of July and August and did that for several years and got together to pray about those things. Then the, the 2000 worship time together. Um, that was part of what fostered us as churches, seeing each other and working together and praying together. Back in 1996, there was a, another life-changing experience for me. I'd been in Peterborough now for, for five years. Um, the Promise Keeper movement was on, where men were being called together to walk with Jesus and live authentic Christian lives and, and to be men who deny themselves and serve rather than trying to control and to care for families. And Promise Keepers had a, a clergy conference that they called in Atlanta, Georgia, in 1996. And I hadn't heard about it except through a pastor f from Halliburton. And uh, he said to me, Glenn, he says, there's going to be 75,000 pastors who are going to come from all over North America to this, to this event. And I thought, 75,000 pastors? And I don't... I don't care what they do. I just want to go and see what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so I started talking to pastors in Peterborough about it and inviting pastors to, to come and be part of this and, and couldn't get any response. Nobody was interested. So I talked to the pastor from Halliburton and uh, he said, yeah, he said, we have five pastors from Halliburton are going. And I'm going like, I didn't even know there were five churches in Halliburton. <laughs> <laughs> so they all came down to Peterborough and they hopped in our van, our family van, and the six of us drove down to this conference. And uh, there weren't 75,000, but there were 42,000 pastors who were at this. Um, we were there for four days. It was just just an amazing thing. Um, we're in the, the big dome stadium that the Atlanta Falcons had as their, as their home field back at that time. Uh, and it was just, just amazing. Um, times of worship and listening to some of the, the best speakers and leading Christian uh, pastors and leaders within North America. Uh, a lot about uh, reconciliation between black and white in the States and between settler and uh, indigenous in the States. Uh, there was one whole section that was filled with First Nations pastors. Just just amazing to see. Uh, one of the pastors got up to speak. He'd actually been raised in Brantford in Six Nations Reserve. And uh, he talked about all of the all the broken trusts, all the broken treaties. He said, but if people hadn't come, I never would have met my Jesus. He talked about all the things that indigenous people have suffered at the hands of settlers. 
and how Jesus is worth everything. It was just just amazing to hear. Um, got to hear some just amazing messages, and one of the um, one of the most moving to me was by Max Lucado. He he was speaking at this. He had us stand up. He was preaching on unity. And he had us all stand up, 42,000 pastors. He said, I want you on a count of three to shout at the top of your voice the name of your church or denomination or your Christian tradition. One, two, three, and everybody yelled. And I'm standing next to a guy who's Anglican and I'm Baptist and, and we're yelling this and it's just this big noise. He said, huh, should I couldn't hear you. He said, Let, let's try this again. He said, on a count of three, one, two, three, he said, I want you to yell at the top of your voice the name of your Lord and Savior. One, two, three. And everybody yelled out loud, Jesus! And the, because it was a dome stadium, the sound of 42,000 people calling Jesus' name all at the same point, it echoed in, in the roof. And it bounced around in there for a few seconds afterwards. And after everybody shouted it, uh, it, they just everybody kind of looked wide-eyed at each other, and then everybody just started to cheer and laugh and clap because of the name of Jesus that was echoing through this in such clarity and unity. Um, Max Locato said, huh, I could hear that. And that was just one of those profound moments that's a life changer. Oh. After, after we were done the four days there, we drove all the way back from Atlanta in the van, and I listened to these five pastors talking about what they were dreaming about doing in Halliburton uh, to live out the unity that is ours in Christ. And I was just jealous. Uh, I thought, Lord, how, how am I ever going to be able to communicate how important the unity of Christ is to the people of Peterborough? He said, I, I couldn't even get anybody to go to this thing. Uh, how am I going to do this? But I know it's your heart. I know how important it is. Um, John 17, Jesus' prayer, verses 21 to 23, says, Father, I pray that we will be one just as you and I are one. The glory that you've given to me, I've shared with them. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me just like you love them. <laughs> I, I look at the verse and I realize that's unity is a requirement for the church to be the church for people who are lost. If they live in unity, then people get to see Jesus demonstrated. If they don't live in unity, people get to see that what we're talking about doesn't mean anything. Um, Jesus wants the body of Christ to be like himself. He wants us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, but he also wants us to say, I choose to give myself away, just like Jesus has given himself away. And when people do that with each other, it it blows out people's understanding of what God is and what it means to walk with God. People who don't know Jesus, if they care at all about knowing God, know instinctively it's not in organized religion they know that because people don't get along with each other the the reputation of churches is that people it's either old and gray and empty or people fight with each other and they know that jesus isn't the answer because of what we do not because of reality yeah so when i got back maybe a month after that um i was at Harvey's one day having a hamburger and I bumped into a guy that I knew that, that went to Living Hope Christian Reformed Church and we just started to talk and he said, he said, my pastor was at that conference. I said, he was there? He said, yeah. So, so as soon as I went home, I phoned him up and I said, Carl, I was, I was at the conference in, in Atlanta. I said, we've got to get together and talk about what God wants to do with this. Carl says, Yeah. And he said, actually, Frank from Calvary Pentecostal was there too. He was there? Wow, okay. So I phoned him up, and and he was eager for it as well. So we started to get together once a week. We did it for years. 
to pray for each other, to encourage each other. We started doing some cooperative things between our congregations. We got the leadership of our congregations together for a night of worship and communion. Uh, we started to do some services together. And uh, then we felt God was saying we were to do that with as many churches as would. And uh, there were initially 14 congregations that wanted to join in with us on that. And that's what kind of started Church in the City. Uh, it started in 2002 and uh, became a, a really exciting expression of us being the body of Christ together. Um, there's a whole lot more to the story, and it hasn't gone in the direction that I thought it would go in, but it's still being directed by Jesus. Church in the City doesn't formally exist anymore, but those pastors that we had have all moved on from Peterborough to other communities. Uh, some have uh, retired, some have passed on and still the pastors of our city still get together for prayer in smaller clusters, but do it once a month and connect with each other. And I don't know what God will do with it. I think disciple a city is grew out of that, out of God's grace, not out of anything directly we did, but, um, We'll see what God does with it. Yeah. We really want to see unity yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, man, you said, uh, you know, Glenn, thanks for coming on the show. Um, we've been, we've been going for a little bit here, so uh, I could just talk to you all day. Might have to have you back. Cause I know you, there's so many more stories. There was uh, some other things I wanted to ask you, but, um, um, and I know, man, you just said so many profound things. Like I can feel the the present of the presence of the Holy Spirit in here while you're saying these profound statements that are just so true of what He wants for us. Yeah. So, um, just one final question for you, Glenn. Uh, what? Not only our city, but specifically our city, because that's where we are, where you served. Uh, recently and church in the city and the things that we've been talking about what what are your hopes to see uh, God moving in this city over the next couple years say what would you like to see so my walk with God is a is a walk of discovery Uh, it's discovering how good God is and who he is um he loves us perfectly. He gives himself to us. He doesn't hold anything back. It just has to do with whether or not we're willing to embrace what he wants to give us. I believe that Peterborough uh, is going to shine the the people, like the church in Peterborough, but also the people who aren't yet part of the church. Um, we're going to shine with the very glory of God. And in terms of discovery, one of the things I'm discovering is the things that that I think God's telling me to do and try to walk with him through him, um, how they turn out, in my mind, is not the issue. The issue is, is this God's heart for our city? And the answer is yes. Uh, am I willing to walk with him in wherever he wants me to go? The answer is Yes. <laughs> He is going to do miraculous things. He's in the process of doing miraculous things within our city. He is going to breathe his life in our city. But it's going to happen because it's his work. It's going to happen because there are people who, in obedience, choose to join him and welcome whatever it is he wants to do. Uh, It depends on him and he lets us be part of it. His kingdom is going to come here. Um, before Jesus returns. Obviously, when Jesus returns, then his glory is going to shine everywhere, but he's going to give us glimpses of his glory in Peterborough before that time, too. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate you sharing your stories with us, man. Thanks for the privilege of being here, Todd. Yeah. Thank you. Bless you, brother. Friends, it starts with that decision. 
that decision that even Glenn made growing up believing, do you just believe or do you want to make the decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and have that living water flow in you? And for our friends in Peterborough and for wherever you are, wherever you're listening, the whole city is his turf. It's not about denominations. It's about Jesus lovers. About us becoming united for the one purpose, his glory. To behold his glory. Let's unite, friends take down our flags, unite for him, and see cities come to know God. <laughs>